the Ark of the Covenant, which represents Jehovah God. He is the center person in all of Israel's history and the most important item, this Ark of the Covenant, in the middle of, of the, what we refer to as the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. The Ark where the two tablets of the law sits within, and on it was a golden seat called the Mercy Seat. And this is where God's glorious presence dwelt during this time. There was, this was the throne of God from which he spoke to his people. We see that in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22, where he, from there, spoke and was present. We will see in the next few chapters, not only 4 and 5, but I thought I'd spare you from trying to do chapter 6 at the same time. Uh, it'll be a miracle if we get through four and five, but we'll get through it here. But, um, but the next few chapters that God is active and in control in all the situations that are recorded here. Don't forget that. I make it in that note right up front. God is in control and knows what's going on. He's not surprised what's happening with his people and the enemy and the situation, how it plays out here. He's absolutely in control. None of this happened by accident or surprise to God. All are part of God's plan to correct, to rebuke, to judge sinners, and also to judge his people that will bring about what ultimately we'll see, the establishment of his anointed king. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, let's take that first. And it says, In the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek, or Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. That 4,000 men were the Israelite warriors. Now it's interesting, as we take a look at it, it didn't take long. Once God started speaking and, and starting to reveal his will and through his word to his people... Then the enemy shows up and starts attacking. And it's so true for us today. God starts showing his will, revealing himself and showing himself through the word of God to you as you're reading. Expect the enemy to show up and attack you. It is going to happen. And we see it here played out in the nation of Israel, uh, his people. Now who did played this enemy role here was the Philistines. And it was during this time there was no great world power, remember. They're just coming into the promised land. There's no Roman Empire or the Persian Empire and no empire. They're fighting Israel, kind of equal-sized enemies, the Moabs and Ammonites, they're kind of equal. But it was one that came along who was a little bit more sophisticated from a war perspective and abilities and, and, and created the thing called iron, which created iron weapons and iron other shields and other things, was the Philistines. Because there was no Egypt, no Assyria, seeking to dominate this region. These were smaller armies coming against, and again, they were able to take care of the Moabites when they were coming in there. Israelites battled against them, the Amorites. Now here we see one of the Philistine attacks against God's people. Now, when you take a look at this, you think, okay, here's Israelites. They, 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 they're in their mindset is they're doing their own thing. They want to live however they want to live. They don't want to be accountable to God. They're mixing and mingling around with the world. They're mixing and mingling with uh, people who worship other gods. And they were just, they were a mess. 
And that's when you find where all of a sudden God's trying to reveal himself and, and then the enemy just comes out. You want to get out of that situation of life that you find yourself in. But the enemy, as soon as you get out and you're trying to move in the direction that God would want you to move in his direction, the enemy comes swooping right in. Some kind of a Philistine attack will happen. The Philistines were the first people in Canaan to process iron, and that's why they became the most feared, because their swords and their spears and chains and shields and helmets became a great strength for them. Now, who are, who are the Philistines? The Philistines are the ones that are coming from the Aegean Sea. They're coming from, they have the island of Creek. That is where the first immigrants from the, of the Philistines came in. And they were the military noblemen um, or the, you know, the elite of the, this island of Crete. We see that in Amos 9-7 is the reference of where they're coming from. But it's a small number they started as the Philistines. And as they started, and they started in the land of the time of Abraham. So they had came in about the, that time and became large numbers soon. But here now, here Israel comes into Canaan from Egypt and they are, were organized uh, to, 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 to occupy all that land. And here's the Philistines creating this capability of, with iron. And it's like, no, no, no. They had five key cities that dominated where these Philistines lived. And they were using those to try to dominate that land. And here we see this played out. Again, the Philistines in Scripture, all the way back to Abraham, Genesis 21, 32. And all throughout the books of Samuel talk about the Philistines about 150 times. But we see the word of Samuel came to Israel. God was speaking through Israel, the prophet, to the people. And now when you see now what they happen is now they find themselves into battle. And we come here in verse 3 and it sees, it sees what happens. How did the elders, how did the leaders respond from Israel when they, this attack came? And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? The Lord defeated you before the Philistines? Question mark. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Interesting. So the people went to Shiloh, and that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now it's interesting as you look and think this through and, and study this, these part of the verses, they get attacked. And the elders, and they think in their wisdom, says, well, we need God. Oh, we're in trouble. So what do we need to do? What, what thing can we, what, what, where's God in all of this? And how can we get God involved with this? How can we make sure God is present in this? Because the enemy just, God, he, they even said, the Lord defeated us. Meaning the Lord was the one attacking them. The Lord didn't attack them. The enemy attacked them. The Lord was not in it. And that's why they were defeated. So what do they think they're going to do? And their wisdom as elders, they said, let's go to Shiloh where the tabernacle is, which is where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is, where God dwells, and we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. It's a great idea. Don't you think, guys? Yeah, yeah, I think this is it. Let's go make this all happen in our own strength, in our own way. Let's go get God and bring God into this. Where was God in the very beginning? Because in Deuteronomy, God said he taught the people how to fight the enemy. You must humble yourself. You must come to God and seek him with all your strength and all your, uh, your, your mind and strength and everything about you. And humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Here's the enemy is coming against us. You don't sit there and think it at your own strength when the enemy comes after you. You don't use the word of God, let alone go to God and, and trust in God and his strength to, to fight your battles and then all of a sudden you get defeated what do you do now okay let me figure out what i can do to make god now be present in my life when i've been ignoring him ignoring his word living my life however i want to live and you wonder why god wasn't in it so what do they do they blame god god why did you defeat me and so they had the nerve to go let's go to shiloh and bring god to us so they go hustle themselves right there and they find the two most wicked priests, the two sons of Eli. 
No problem. They can convince these guys. They don't care. They think this is going to be really cool. So how did they get the Ark of the Covenant back? Remember, you couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant unless it was by what? The priests. So these two guys hustled themselves back with the, with the, with the, the entourage to carry it so they could safely bring it back. Anyone else touch it was going to go what? They would die. Remember that? So they get it back there. And if you remember, there was a few other people thought this was a good idea. So they were going based on what their knowledge was. If you remember, they used the ark and it was in the front of the marchers who went around Jericho, if you remember, in Joshua. Moses thought it was a good idea to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses <laughs> told the, high, the priest to lead the Ark uh, uh, into battle against the Midianites in Numbers 31, if you remember. Oh, they was the only ones. We got, got, we got a old, good old Saul brought the Ark into battle. We find, we'll find that in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. Even David said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant and let's take it into battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 11, we'll see that. So they see the patterns. They're like, okay, Moses did this. Maybe it'll work for us. And it, may, it may save us. They had this sense that maybe God's going to help to win the battle now because this is not going to end. But they were wrong in the way they sought the help from God. Instead of humbly repenting and seeking God and saying, God, we're wicked men. We're wicked as a nation. We didn't follow you. We didn't do it. And humble yourself. No, 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 no. They turned to methods that God never approved of. They turned to programs. They turned to methods. They turned to other kinds of things versus just humbling themselves in front of God and asking for God for, to, to forgive them. They only cared if the method was going to work to get what they wanted. In this case, to keep them safe. But we find this good old good luck charm that they thought the ark was. You got the ark charm? <laughs> People use all kinds of religious articles. Do I got it? Do I hold on to it? You know, you have all kinds of things that... People hold on. Instead of worshiping God directly, they're worshiping the thing that represents God. It's called an idol. They believed if they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the place where they're at, that somehow that furniture was going to save them. It's the most prominent furniture in the tabernacle. The furniture wasn't God. God's where God's presence above it was, not the actual furniture. They looked to the ark to save them, not to the Lord. That was the problem. They didn't seek the Lord to save them. They were looking for something that represented God to save them. And there's a lot of plenty of Christians and like these elders who when they find themselves beaten by down by the world and the devil is just messed with their minds and they go squirrely in their brains to they will come up with all kinds of 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 reasons why God's judgment that came upon them was everyone else's problem even God's problem not their own so they should have really recognize and humble themselves their departure from God they're just setting God aside not making him primary not they lost the passion that's what they should have understood is why they lost and they bring these two sons of Eli Hophni and Phineas carrying that trusted ark of the covenant instead of trusting in the ark they should have and more concerned that the ark was served and carried by priests who had forsaken the Lord. I mean, there's, there are so many things wrong in this picture. And God's not going to just let this pass. Verse 5, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Can you imagine a few million shouting? However, how many was there, right? I mean, not entire of Israel was there, but I mean, it was a sizable group from representing the, the Israel's, Israelites there. 
I mean, if you can, <laughs> can you imagine the, the ones who weren't even Israel, you know, part of the nation of Israel? They were just others, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they're like, what is going on in that town? Look at them. They're just so loud. It's shaking the ground. Is there an earthquake going on? These people, this, there must be something really huge happening at that church because it's rocking, man. If the roof is about to come off the place and shouting and yelling and craziness going on. There must be something really cool going on in that place. Fog, lights, everything going on. I mean, it was just incredible, must have been. This would have been considered an incredible great church service if many people were watching and seeing this. They must have really thought, now those people really trust God. But for all the appearances that from the outside, it was really nothing. All the noise, all the excitement meant nothing because it wasn't grounded in God's truth. It was just they were thinking by their feelings. They literally were moved by their feelings and creating all this thinking and experience and this outward expression, not on God's truth. Verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Covenant had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. Woe means not good. They recognize this is a, this is a really bad situation. When you see woe, you hear woe, you better stop and pay attention here. For such a thing has never happened before. You're right, it should not have happened. It was out of the ordinary. Yes, it shouldn't have happened. Woe to us. Twice they're saying to this, this is really serious. We're going to get wiped out. Their God has showed up. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Plural? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Oh my goodness. They, even the enemy knew of the story of how God wiped out the, and brought the plagues and wiped out Egypt, the most powerful army at the time. They understood the reputation of what God could do. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Whoever the leader was, whoever the general was, whoever the one that they were listening and running this army, they knew what to do to motivate their men. Even as non-believers, they didn't do anything like saying, men, Act like men. Fight like men. You have got to understand we cannot back down. We have got to fight even if their God is with them. Now, if God was truly with them, that was a suicide mission. Because <laughs> it could have wiped them out. All they knew is they knew, all they knew was war and they wanted to win. Philistines understood, yes, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, this is not good, woe to us, woe to us, this is bad, we know the history of this, all of that. They still went beyond their feelings, beyond what they logically thought, and they just said, for us, we have got to act like men, fight like men, and we're going to trust that we are going to battle these people. They, were, they had courage. They didn't live by fear. They, they had courage. Even when things looked so bad, they weren't easily giving up here. They weren't giving up. And they were persistent. And see what happens in verse 10. So the Philistines fought. 
and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. There fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Remember, ooh, that was, we're talking increase from 4,000 to 30,000 here. Also, the ark of, the, of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, died. They both died. Well, if you remember our study here, God said those two men were going to die together the same day. And now we see it how they were going to die. They died bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Israel in a place where it should not have been. There are three reasons why Israel was defeated here. If you catch them right here. First, the Philistines fought with courage of desperate men. They desperately needed to win. Second, the Israelites fell to the battle when it would be easy with the Ark of the Covenant. They put, they thought, we could just take an easy path here. God will just take care of it. We don't have to do our part. We don't have to fight hard. We don't have to be courageous. We don't have to be persistent. No, no. God somehow is just showing up whenever we, wherever we go and whatever we do, we just say, oh, ring the bell. The butler will take care of it for us. It's that mentality that they had. They didn't try as hard as they should have to do what God... They didn't humble themselves. God, please, I know you're here and present, but God, apart from you, we can do nothing. No, no, no. There was no humbleness. They just said, just get it here and put the box there and let's see what God's going to do. Well, they got defeated. And finally, God did not bless Israel's superstitious, good luck, charm kind of attitude about the Ark of the Covenant here. They had a superstitious belief in the power of the ark instead of the power of God. We often make the same mistake, do we not? Believe that if God is with us, we don't need to try hard and do anything. We think if God is on our side, the work will be easy. That's not true at all. <laughs> He's called us to do hard things. He's called us to do Things that God's called us to do. We can only achieve those things and have victory over things in our lives, but as a whole, is if we have God empowering us and leading us. It's the only way we'll have victory in our lives. He's given us victory already, but we still need His power to give us the wisdom and, and, and to do the things He's called us to do. To bring him glory, to bring him honor and glory and, and, and his name to be lifted on high. We cannot do that in our own and through programs and through our own little lucky charms and, and our own little methods that we come up with thinking that, oh, this looks like fun. Let's just do this and God will somehow bless it. No, that's not how we do it. We look for where God wants to lead us to do and we just go with what he's doing and be part of it. And as we look at this, even though they brought him the, God's, the Ark of the Covenant, and even though they think he's just going to somehow just go out and do things, God did not feel obligated to bless the Israelites and give them victory. He wasn't obligated just because they brought him, and now we're somehow making you feel like, you know, God, we want you now involved here. You're going to get victory all of a sudden. Just because you... Now we're asking me to come into battle and take, you know, get battle with you to take care of some certain things. Doesn't mean he's obligated to do it. <laughs> it's like these, these, these elders thought he could just somehow strong arm, strong arm God. That's not how it works. God is a person. Not a genie. He is a person. You don't just call and rub the lamp and run the little Ark of the Covenant and whatever else little symbol you might have and rub it and, 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 and say, Oh God, please, I'm summoning you now at the will of my, my will. Please come help me. Not how it is. That's what they thought it was. And they lost 30,000 foot soldiers because of that attitude. 
Not only did they lose all these foot soldiers as Israel, they lost far, far worse than they did the first time. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God was captured. The Ark of God, notice the terminology we'll see in the rest of the chapters. The Ark of God was captured. This was worse than just losing a battle. The very thing they thought would win the battle was captured. Israel made an idol out of the ark, and God often deals with idolatry by taking the idol away. And guess what? There goes their idol into the enemy hands. Now remember, God is in control. God sees all this. He knows all this. He's allowed all of this, in, and even to this part. Even 34,000 men being wiped out. God is willing to say, okay, you don't do it. There's consequences here, but you're going to get attention. He's going to be brought on to me. Where's the glory should be coming back to God? And humbleness and trusting. You've just lost the ark. But remember, the God of the ark was still on the throne in heaven. He's still on the throne in heaven. He's still guiding the circumstances and situations. Why? To bring him glory. It's always about him. Israel thought they could ignore the God of the ark and find deliverance in the ark of God. That is not how it works. God shows he was greater than the ark. He says, okay, let that go. You think I'm, I'm, I'm locked in with just this ark of the covenant? No, 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 no. I still rule from heaven. And these two priests, these two yahoos here, look what's going to happen here. They both ended up dying in the battle. God said they were going to die and they are going to die the same day. And sure enough, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 34, here we are. These two men die, and God, as God promised to Eli, because of their wickedness, because of the fact that they were not living for God, they did not know God. And now the proof of judgment came. And he told Eli it was going to happen. But look what we don't know back in chapter 2, as we will see what happens here in verse these next few verses. And then a man of Benjamin ran. We don't know who that man of Benjamin is. Some people say and have some theories there, but I'm not even going to mention because I, don't, I can't find anything historically or anything for, that would settle for me to, to say a person's particular name. But a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and, and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? I mean, they're wailing. And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of the covenant has been captured then it happened what happened when he made mention of the ark of the covenant not his two sons but when he made the mark of the covenant uh, the mention of the ark of the covenant the ark was captured that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he was dead for the man was old and Heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. He's been eating all the choice meat from all the 
sacrifices and you know, lots of it. And uh, we can picture a very big, large man sitting there, just sitting to judge and to rule over. And his high priest, he couldn't even go or do anything. Keep in mind, he knew his two sons took the Ark of the Covenant and he couldn't do anything about it. We don't even know if he even granted it, said it was okay. All we know is he was fearful and he cried out. All was about what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. That's all I want to know. Remember, the high priest is the only one who's supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. That means his two sons who were not high priests went into the Holy of Holies and took the Ark out. That caused him literally to fall over. He must have had a heart attack, a stroke, and just keeled over, broke his neck, and died. Now, keep in mind, this battle was taking place in the, uh, t- the town of Aphek. They, that guy, this, this man of Benjamin ran 20 miles to Shiloh to tell Eli what took place. This, this messenger ran a long way, mostly uphill to Shiloh from a, <laughs> to get there to bring this bad news. He was a mess. Clothes were torn and dirt and wore and his appearance must have just absolutely shocked everyone. And when it came, things came out of his mouth about what actually happened, everyone's mourning. Eli kicks over and dies. Remember, God said there was judgment on the house of Eli. God did not announce to Eli how he was going to die. The fact that he was going to die the same day his two sons were. God tells us much in prophecy, but not everything. Some is only seen in its fullness after it is fulfilled. In this case, he didn't give any prophecy of how Eli was going to die. Verse 19, now, as, now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son." But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, this is the meaning of Ichabod, the glory has departed from Israel. The glory is gone. That's the meaning of Ichabod. Because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband, and she said the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. That poor wife, Phineas's wife, had a child. She was married to the future high priest. <laughs> Prominent. Everything's all lined up for her. And she finds out her father-in-law, son, brother-in-law, every, the ark of the covenant, everything and she went into labor pains. It was so much she, she just couldn't handle it. She ended up dying. The anguish, the national tragedy upon Israel. And she turns around and marks that occasion with naming her son Ichabod. The glory is gone. The glory has departed from Israel. Her grief was tremendous. You could picture if you know deliveries, blood pressure shot up, you know it, all of those things, and it did not go well. They didn't have the maternity <laughs> equipment and expertise to take care of back in those days. The loss was total, <laughs> and she even lost the desire to live. And the, the glory depart, has departed. 
The glory of God displayed by the Ark of the Covenant had departed from Israel and the Philistines now held it tight. The glory of God had departed in one sense, but the glory of God had indeed departed. Not, but not because the Ark of God had been captured, but the Ark had been captured because the glory had already departed from the Ark of God. Back in the Old Testament, people say, oh, David would, in the, in the psalm, like, Lord, please don't let your spirit, you know, leave me. Don't depart from me. Because remember, the spirit was upon people and could lift and lift. As a new believer, the spirit of God dwells within us as a believer. But we can still grieve the Holy Spirit. And you think God is in it, but he's really not in it. Because you really haven't really trusted him in what God's called you to do and what you're trying to do for God. And you might have other things, your programs and other things you're relying upon versus truly God doing the work in and through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. So how could God allow something so terrible to happen is always the question that people ask from the Old Testament. Well, in this situation, the first he allowed it as a righteous judgment upon Israel as a nation and as a family of Eli because they had to be judged because he's a righteous God. And the nation of Israel turned against God, and the family of Eli turned against God. They walked away. They were doing things in their own eyes. So God used this situation to actually bring judgment upon them, to get their attention, especially in this case, the nation of Israel. And secondly, yes, they deserved that, but secondly, God allowed it as a a correction to the nation so that they would not trust in the ark of God. Instead, they needed to trust in the God of the ark. So sometimes God will remove things that you are trusting in so you would really just rely upon God and not the things of God. And finally, though it seems so terrible to man, Was it all that terrible to God? Did God wring his hands? Did he was sweating profusely? And it's like, I can't believe this is how it's all playing out. It's not what I was really hoping. No, God knew exactly how it was all going to play out. And he allowed it and was part of watching this all play out. I wasn't worried about his reputation. He wasn't worried about what other people were going to think and fear about other people. He wasn't worried about the Philistines and their gods going to somehow overtake him. The glory had not departed at all. Instead, God was just beginning to show his glory because that was the ultimate plan is to bring these people of his nation of Israel to come back and the enemies to see the glory of God and the outcome of the circumstances because many circumstances that we regard as absolute terrible, this is huge calamity, this is a, couldn't get any worse than what the situation we find ourselves in. God uses in a wonderful way to glorify him through those situations in your life. He brings him glory. Israel was right to be sad and mourning for the loss of life and the ark of, the, of that day, of that day, just losing the ark of God there. But they should have confided and been confident knowing God was still in control. And you should have examined themselves. Chapter 5. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the temple of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, set it in its place again, and when they rose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of the Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. 
Therefore, neither the priests of Dagong nor any who come into Dagong's house tread on the threshold of Dagong in Ashdod to this day. So here they are. They have the... They, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. But where are you going to put the Ark of the Covenant? Where God was dwelling at one point. What are you going to do with this thing? So they take him into the same temple that Dagon was right there, thinking, your God is bigger than my God? Are you kidding me? And then you know Dagon, I don't know the full extent of what the size and scope, but it was quite large, looking down upon this little furniture. Can you imagine when they walk in and that thing was flat on its face? Like, how did that happen? Did anyone leave a window open? Do we have a, stand, a sandstorm come through? How did that happen? Let's pretend it didn't happen. Let's set it back up. That's just a coincidence. That just, that didn't really happen. Let's just pretend that just didn't happen. Second time, God said, boop. Took off the head. Took off the hands. Broken, your God is broken in front of the Ark of Covenant. Now, they, now they're like, oh, this just didn't just happen. So what did they do? When people really refused to accept, to hear, and to see God moving in their life, what did they do? I, I didn't know that wasn't God. That was just a coincidence. That was just, I don't know, that's a freak thing, it just, it's freaking me out, I don't know what happened, I, I don't know what happened, let's, let's not talk about it. Just, people are just like them. What do they do? They literally sit there and told them, they told everyone, no, right there, at the very end of verse 5, right? It says here, therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread, walked on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to the no one else is allowed to come in there. They, they just pretend this didn't happen, that our God was broken, and we had to somehow, they're looking at a broken God, and, 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 and they couldn't repair or whatever. They just ignored what God was doing and made sure no one else knew what God did. But God will glorify himself. And he did that right in front of this this. This, this idol, because sometimes when men disgrace the glory of God, we feel that God is somehow fear that God will go without glory. No, no, no. He's not going to go out with glory because you didn't glorify him. He was going to glorify himself. He will do it because he will. You don't glorify him. He will glorify himself through and through other people and other ways. He'll bring glory to him. And he did that with the Dagon there in Ashdod. Verse 6, but the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. Oh, he's not done with dealing with the enemy. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of, of the, the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the, co ark of, of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. I sit there and ponder and it's like, okay, God is not even anywhere near that box now. Nowhere are they near the Ark of the Covenant because those guys couldn't touch it. If God's glory were there, there was no way God, any of those people were not going to be able to touch it. So he obviously, God just, he, he left that, that, over that Ark of the Covenant. They allowed him to transport it, right? And said, get it out of here. And he says to them, just, just carried away to Gath. Now remember, Gath is one of the five main cities of the Philistines. So he just said, get it out of here and take it to another city. They must not have liked that city of the Philistines over there. Because it's not like they got them out of the cities of the Philistines. They said, just go put it to Gath. It must be one of those cities that's like, oh, that's the other side. You know, so just, you know let's, who cares? If, if they die over there, at least it's over there and it's not in our city. 
What did God do? He didn't have to come wipe him out. He was going to make him suffer. He brought tumors. Now, some of the people, when you were studying on what are these tumors, some people said they had tremendous hemorrhoids. I don't know. I don't know where they get that from. I don't know how they... No. I could go a little more joking on that one, but I'm not going to do it. It's, whatever it was, some thought of, you know, it, it was another kind of sickness like the bubonic plague and all these other things. I don't know. All I know is tumors. And when I think of a tumor and I've seen tumors... They're very painful. I don't care where they're on your body. You can't function as hard, especially if your body is covered with those things. But it's interesting as I think about these verses. He says, send it over to Gath. It's not like they think, let's get it out of sight and get it out of area and get it some distance. Like God somehow is going to disappear. People do that. They know they're going against God here, and they know nothing's going well here, and they know they really mess things up here, and they really don't, and they're seeing the consequences here, and the enemy's just having a ravage of their time as these cardinal Christians, like, why is this going happening? And instead of humbling themselves, instead of just crying out to God and humbling themselves and repenting, people have a tendency, like they do, just get God away or let us get away. And, and, and people tell us, let's go move somewhere else and then everything will be better. No, things don't get better when you're still in darkness and not living for God. You can go anywhere in this world. You're not going to leave God. God sees all things. He knows all things. They thought they could just move him because they thought he was still present in just over the box of the Ark of the Covenant. But God had left. God still is in the throne of heaven. He still sees all things. He's all present. He didn't have to just dwell right there over the Ark of the Covenant. We all must face God and stand before Him one day. We can do all the things you want to to push Him away, but when, even when the best of those attempts are just temporary, God's trying to get your attention. Don't run, don't try to hide. Don't try to deflect and say, I don't want to really think about God. I mean, I'm not going to church anymore, so I don't hear that. And I'm not opening up the Bible, so I don't have to hear them from there. And I'm not going to listen to the radio because I'm not, I don't want to be reminded there. And I get around God's people because I don't want to be reminded of them there. Because every time I go around and do any of those things, I feel convicted. Because God didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save Satan comes to condemn. Yes, God will convict. But you can't run. You'll have to face him. You might as well humble yourself and face him. And, and to surrender all, to, to repent. Verse 9, so it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. I mean, so it wasn't just tumors. We see here, when this happened, <laughs> when, they, when they carried it away, that the hand of God was against the city with a very great destruction. You can try to get the Ark of the Covenant out, but I can still destroy you, and I still can give you all these tumors. I can still cause problems here to get your attention. The hand of the Lord was against that city. And the, the city of Gath did not get any better. They also broke out. Verse 10. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. <laughs> sent it to somewhere else. So it was that the ark of God came to Ekron and the Ekronites cried out saying, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and other people. So now they're, they're hearing the rumors. They're, they're knowing what's going on right now. Why are you bringing the ark of the covenant here? So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the, of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place. Send it back to the Israelites so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven." See, they were just 
God was saying, oh, yeah, you just keep moving me around, and I'll just take out every one of these cities. You keep moving me around, and I'm going to have my way. It's like a hot potato. You ever play that game? Woo, hot, 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 hot. No one wants to get stuck with a potato. They still wouldn't submit to the Lord God of Israel. Do you notice that? Nowhere in the, ver the verses here tell us that they just surrendered to the God of Israel. They just said, send it away. They had repented and turned toward the Lord. Could have probably benefited from the ark being there with them. Instead, it became a curse and a judgment to them. And the same is true of the presence of God among men today. It could be a fragrance of life to some. Ah, the sweet smelling aroma, the, the presence of God. The aroma of death to others. We see that warning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. <laughs> I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, but I want God's presence. I want the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want God to move in this place and in your life. And I want God's presence to be a sweet smelling aroma. It is very grieving to watch and see the aroma of death to others who choose not to turn their life to God, to follow Jesus, to walk away from Jesus. It is, it's just grieving to watch the destruction that usually comes about their lives. Ah, may we just rest in the presence of God. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your scripture this evening, Lord, and your word of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our hearts. May it encourage us. Oh, we're on track, Lord, to just, just humbly come before you, humbly just glorify you in all of who you are, your name, your presence, oh, Lord, may we find rest for our souls because of the fact that we're desiring to be in your presence and desiring to know you more in a deeper way, to just to live obedient lives as you guide us and, and, and work through our lives, Lord. Um, may we be about your business. May we be about worshiping you every day, throughout the days, Lord, just like talking to you throughout the day just that relationship with you and the relationship with our brothers and sisters and the lord lord just bless our lives we pray in jesus name amen